You're listening to Hope for Today Church Podcast. We're so glad that you're joining in this virtual space. We believe that as you listen, Jesus will minister to you right where you are. So open up your mind and your heart to what the Word would say to you today. Thank you for joining us. And remember, Jesus is our hope for today. Okay, so glad to have you in the place today. Glad that you are glad to be here. See some smiling faces and, um, you know, on this beautiful day, I'm reminded that we've had, you know, beautiful time in the presence of the Lord together. We, when we believe collectively that in the presence of the Lord that there is fullness of joy, that we are changed because of the eternal pleasures that are ours in Christ, there should be joy in the house. There should be that, that blessing, that camaraderie and that blessing. I want to encourage you this afternoon as we continue in the letter to the believers in Galatia, Galatians 2, uh, verse 11, that Paul the apostle says, but when Cephas, and Cephas also known as Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For he regularly ate with the Gentiles before certain men came from James. However, when they came, he withdrew and separated himself because he feared those from the circumcision party. Then the rest of the Jews joined his hypocrisy so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were deviating from the truth of the gospel, I told Cephas in front of everyone, if you who are a Jew live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you compel Gentiles to live like Jews? We are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. And yet, because we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we ourselves have believed in Christ Jesus. This was so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no human being will be justified. But if we ourselves are also found to be sinners while seeking to be justified by Christ. Is Christ then a promoter of sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild those things that I tore down, I show myself to be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You know, when you look at this interaction, there's a lot of wonderful revelation given here to inform not only our spirit, but our theology. And just so we're on the same page, I'm really going to use Ron's analogy. We're going to tee things up for next week. Um, But I want to make sure we're on the same uh, page. Practically speaking, what is revelation and what is theology? You hear this, you know, we need a revelation from the Lord. Unless it's a revelation from the Lord, people perish. And so it's important that we're on the same page. So in the language, revelation, the word usage, the sense there is defined as this. Revelation is something surprising or previously unknown that has been now revealed. Something previously unknown or surprising. 
You can imagine how the gospel, the good news that God has included the Gentiles as by grace through faith, that was surprising to the Jewish, especially the Jewish circumcision party. You say, what? There's not all these rules? (laughs) Then theology. Theology pertains to the studying the nature of God, his, his character and our belief and relationship with him. How we conduct ourselves in light of the knowing and studying the nature of God. And so when you take the two, like baking a cake, when you take those two ingredients, revelation and theology, you get supernatural disclosure. And what is disclosure? The action of making known what was previously unknown. So supernatural disclosure, theological revelation would be the action of making known the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God in relation to our human existence. The good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. And so as Christians, you know, the fact that we're here today and we're, we're singing and we're worshiping, we saw this blessing of revelation, supernatural disclosure and action. Right now we're going to the word and we're reading from the word and it speaks and informs our soul and spirit because the word of God is, is set apart, inspired, God breathed. But then there also is the other aspect of revelation through the Holy Spirit as inspires and gives utterance to men and women of the faith like we saw this afternoon. We also see revelation in the life of Christ, the the word that became flesh. We're told in Colossians 1.19, you love the verse, that in Christ the fullness of God dwells. So the very fullness of God, his wisdom, his will, his good, pleasing, and good nature was on display for the whole world to see. And the Apostle Paul would later go on to say to the Corinthians that we are ambassadors for Christ, making our appeal to the world. Be reconciled to God, for in him the old is gone, the new has come, that you are a new creation in Christ. And so when we can wrap our head around understanding, being on the same page of theology, being on the same page in Revelation, when we're rooted in this divine disclosure, his will, like we sing, his love, his faithfulness over us, the enduring relationship that we enjoy, we are strengthened in that abundant joy, we are strengthened in that pack of, uh, path of life from spending time in his presence that then go into the world and carry that wave with us. John 1, 6 to 17 says this, that in Christ we have received grace upon grace. Amen. So when you look at this letter, this aspect, Paul, right at the beginning as he says, hey, I went to Peter and I spoke to him. I opposed him face to face. He's sharing a very practical understanding from a place of strength, a place of outflow of being in the very presence of Jesus. He knew that his message was backed by divine authority as we looked at last week. We also know that it was affirmed by the apostles in Jerusalem. And so he rightfully went to his brother whom he loved and basically said, what's going on, Peter? Why are you being two-faced? And he says in verse 16 that justification does not come by works of the law because by the law no human will be Justified, And so Paul goes on saying that just like he and Peter are both Jews, they have declared that we are justified in Christ and not by the law. Faith by grace, nothing more, nothing less. 
You know, in our world, a lot of times we see this combination of faith. We see this combination of faith in the lawn. And that is not the goal. And I believe from this interaction that Peter had, uh, Paul sat, had, sorry, with Peter, when he opposed him to the face, later on, Peter would go on to say, the goal of your salvation, the very goal of that salvation, of your faith, is the salvation of your souls. And I couldn't help but think in reading this opening interaction that from the moment of salvation, the moment that we believe in Jesus, there are many next steps to take. There are many next steps in our service to the Lord, and there's next steps in life transformation. As we live into this love, this, this faith call that we have in Christ. Thank you, Jesus. So here we look in this letter, Paul um, opposes Peter. And I wrote here as a takeaway point as we get into what was going on here, I wrote this, there will always be counter forces at work. There will always be counter attacks. If we can get this in the spirit, not, not to be negative in that, but understanding and using discernment that not only are we situated securely in Christ, but the blessing, this grace upon grace that abounds to you, not only teaches you to resist the backpedal that some were trying to do in Paul's day, but it pushes you forward in those next steps of life transformation. But we live in a time where people are more concerned about going to a place where they don't want to speak truth. They don't want to declare truth. And in fact, a lot of times you might have heard this. I'm not going there because they're very judgy or they're judgmental or they're intolerant. But at the end of the day, I'll tell you this. If I was looking for a place to call home, like HFT, I would want my family to be situated in a place that affirms the word of God and cares about my very soul rather than if I'm feeling comfortable in my sin. And so here, the word here used in, in approaching him very simply was showing us that Peter was in the wrong. And so we sought him out. He sought him out to find out, like, Peter, what's going on? What's restricting this flow of grace that you've experienced? You, you, just like the Galatians, you began in this. You saw the very grace of the Lord, you know, appear to you and work in and through you. Why are you caring about this group that's come from the east and putting pressure on you, so to speak? Look how he says, he says, not only did I pose him to his face, he said, for he regularly ate with the Gentiles before certain men came from James. However, when they came, he withdrew and separated himself because he feared those from the circumcision party. And so what were the problems here? We, you know, the recognized leaders in Jerusalem, they affirmed Paul's call. They affirmed the message. They also agreed in their letter of Acts 15 that the Gentiles were not required to become practicing adherents of Judaism. And that also the Jews could continue practicing Judaism and those aspects of the, the, the law and stuff that they so desired. However, it wasn't addressed, if you can get this, it wasn't addressed on what would happen when the Jews and Gentiles were together. 
How were they supposed to, to act together? What, what was the protocol when they came into each other's space? Because at the end of the day, if a Jew would dine and sit down with a Jew, that would go against the matters of the law, of ceremonial food laws. But Paul, very simply, when he, you, could, you could understand and appreciate if you were Peter, just seeing Paul coming, he's probably thinking in his heart, I know exactly what Paul's going to say to me. Because he has the same Holy Spirit, the same grace that's teaching him. But these leaders, again, from the East, they were trying to damn things up, if I can put it that way. And so the walking point today, and knowing there's always going to be a counterforce, there are always there people who are trying like a great concrete machine, one of those, you know, machines that come in and backfill and, you know, make skyscrapers and dams and stuff, there will be those in forces and groups that are going to try and dam up your relationship with the Lord and try and put all these parameters and protocols around you in order that you don't experience the freedom that Christ would have you enjoy by faith in his name. You know, perhaps Peter, he was concerned with being seen as ashamed of his Jewish identity. You know, a lot of the times when you come to faith, there at one point in time was someone that knew you before you became a new creation. And when you see and you meet those old friends again, or maybe you're still friends, but they see this new part of you, at times you can, you can naturally cower because they knew you one way. But here in a way, Peter's going through this experience. But Paul was not concerned on appearances. His concern was of factual judgment, judgment concerning what the Lord had revealed to him. You know, Peter's actions spoke louder than words. The Gentiles could not fully have received or been fully received as part of God's people if Peter continued in this frame of work. Had Peter just continued to pull away and, and, and such, he would have basically been declaring like a loudspeaker that the gospel message does not include the Gentiles. And so to combat this, Paul writes, he says, I opposed him to his face. You know, I couldn't help but think when he said face, we have a thing today called FaceTime. And the value of sitting down and having FaceTime time. I cannot begin to tell you, you know, an example here of Paul going and reaching out to Peter and speaking truth in love, even in a public setting. There are so many times when, you know, as a, as a fellow brother, even as especially now, um, you know, in pastoral leadership, the amount of times where someone has commented to me and just showing love and expression of love, don't judge me. Don't judge me. Who are you to judge? Jesus said, do not judge. So what do we do with that? What do we do with that kind of statement when you're desiring, like Paul, to speak the truth in love? He goes on, Ephesians 4.15, he says, but speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Jesus so we believe in life transformation. The same spirit who lives in you and lives in me teaches us. That's called the grace of God has appeared to all men. Teaches us to say no to the things that God does not approve of. 
And so we're able to exercise discernment. We're able to exercise good judgment to spend face time and sit down with a brother and say, hey, listen, brother, you know, I care about you. You know, I love you. I saw something that's just not you. I saw you engage something that's just, it doesn't reflect who you are in Christ. Tell me what's going on. In many ways, Paul very strongly saying, Peter, what's going on? This is not you. I couldn't help but think in this interaction, uh, Paul says in verse 14, but when I saw that they were deviating from the truth of the gospel, I told Peter in front of everyone, if you who are a Jew live like Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you compel Gentiles to live like Jews? You know, a practical level, Paul is showing us that we should use our freedom in Christ to treat one another with love and mutual respect because of that tremendous love that has been poured out for us. We were once one way, but now we are brand new. We're part of a new way of living. The old is gone and the new has come, but very simply and very tangibly, we are susceptible because we're flesh and blood still, that we're susceptible to the sin agent that wants you to backpedal, wants you to take a step back to the things that maybe are a little more familiar. And so when the circumcision party came, in the, came upon the scene, you know, Peter recognized what was familiar but Paul also recognized it. He was familiar with it also. And he knew where that path led. He knew it didn't lead to life. It, it led to glorification, praise of the flesh. But the, the freedom that he experienced in Christ, he desired for all to experience it. And so he shows us, I don't know if you can get any clearer than this, the value of being real with one another. He says, I said it in front of everyone. You know, I've had some, some tough conversations over the years with people that I trust, those of my own flesh and blood having conversation. And I tell you, those conversations are so timely because they do care about you. I don't know where along the line we got to the point where to show love, we don't speak to one another. We know that when you look to the word, Peter had trouble with peer pressure. How many of you have had trouble with peer pressure? I'm, I'm, my hand's still up. <laughs> peer pressure is a real thing. Peter many times struggled with this. He'd be like, Lord, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. I'm going with you. You just tell me the way. I'm, I'm with you. Uh, to death, I'm with you. And then we know what happened when Jesus was brought before charges in the synagogue. People would go to Peter and say, aren't you one of the members? Three times he denied Christ. And then we see later on, of course, the grace of the Lord in action restored Peter. And then three times he said to Peter, do you love me? And on the third time of this question, it says, Peter was grieved, John 21, that he asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Shepherd my lambs. And then he goes on to say, truly I tell you, when you were younger, you did, or you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. And he said this to indicate what kind of death Peter would glorify God. 
After saying this, he told him, follow me. Here Jesus is showing and Paul's calling out Peter, the faith that we live, the gospel message that we bear is never convenient. There will be those who are going to be receptive. They're going to storm the, the gates of heaven, so to speak, but there are others who are going to want nothing to do with it. Don't focus on that. Focus on the work that the Lord is doing. And so it says here in verse 20, even after he said, follow me in the midst of this, he says to Peter, turn around and saw the disciple Jesus that, in whom he loved, the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and asked, Lord, who's the one that's going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about him? Jesus said, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. <laughs> Peter, to illustrate the point, per pressure was real. But because of what Peter experienced, he would be able to speak not only to that peer pressure, he would be able to speak to the grace of the Lord in his life to overcome that pressure. You know, it speaks to us today, the importance of bringing our fears into submission to the authority of Christ. We were watching a video this past week at our, our men's night. We're looking at the, the supernatural power of a transformed mind. And there's an importance of bringing what is impossible before the feet of Jesus, because in him all things are possible. And that also means our very fears. Here, Peter was afraid of the group that was in their midst. But if he would just be focused on the, the message that was also entrusted to him, he would realize there was nothing to fear. But it draws attention to the point as Peter, or sorry, Paul is showing us, Peter and Paul, two Ps, geez. Paul is showing us the major dam, the major issue, this is the vigil is going for today, that can impede all people. That major dam, that major issue that can impede us is peer pressure. Spiritual peer pressure. The very preacher that we encounter, that people will not walk in the freedom of Christ, us included, that we will not continue to walk in that freedom because of that cultural peer pressure. And so how he's showing here how we respond is important. He says in verse 17, but if we ourselves are also found to be sinners while seeking to be justified by Christ, is Christ then a promoter of sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild those things that I tore down, I show myself to be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me and the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. And so this screams loud and clear, not only the great impeding force in our life, the forces you know, at our doorstep, those various dams that seek to impede your growth, but our actions and how we live our faith matters. They minister one way or another. And so today, just rightfully speaking from a place of just encountering the, the move of the Lord in our, in our life. I'm, I'm thankful when people step out. You know, the very action today, 
if I can put it that way, that taking that step of, of having more than, you know, we had more than one person step out and, and, and share how the Lord was speaking to you, how the Lord has ministered, how the Lord has uh, answered prayers in your life. That not only ministers to your heart, that ministers to those who heard and those who heard today virtually. Our, our actions speak one way or another. You know, the truth is, some in the modern church today would have a problem with this face-to-face interaction. This public interaction because of the words of when Jesus said, do not judge. And so, but very quickly for sake of time, if we just stop in Matthew 7, 1, 1 a if you would call it, do not judge, you could walk away and say, well, that's it. There you have it. Do not judge. Just walk away. But it says, do not judge so that you will not be judged. For you will be judged by the same standard with which you judge others, and you will be measured by the same measure that you use. A lot of times that's a typical convenient block to silence sound exhortation and encouragement. And I'm thankful in this letter. It doesn't show that Peter got his back up and said, Paul, who do you think you're talking to? We, we don't see that. And Paul, we know he was very out there. Like he was very bold. He captured a lot in his letters. He didn't mix words. He didn't sugarcoat anything. He was true to the point he was bold. If you look through it, I encourage you to read chapter seven in relation to Jesus' teaching on judging. He didn't say that we could not judge. In fact, he didn't bar us from exercising discernment. That word judge there, when you look in the original language, the, the sense there is discernment, discerning, recognizing, identifying, approving whether something is of God or not and how we are to live our lives as those who are new creation. <laughs> this is a tough one, I have to admit. My younger self, you know, I would probably have been stumped by this. That there were times where people really, you know, more educated people than I, and those people obviously exist, because I don't pretend that I'm anything special. But now I can truly rest in the word here, when Jesus goes on in verse 15 to 17, he says, not only he says, beware of, you know, casting pearls before pigs. He goes on to say, and watch out for false prophets because you'll recognize them by their fruit. For a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. Well, if we don't exercise judgment, if we can't exercise discernment, how are you going to recognize a false prophet? How are you going to identify and recognize right from wrong, sin or not? So the next time you... You know, here's someone in, in reading this letter, perhaps these points. You can say, no, Jesus was speaking through Paul, exercising sound discernment of judgment to restore Peter from being in the wrong. And then you could say, well, P- well wait a second, Pastor Andrew. Paul had this authority from the Lord. He was an apostle. So then you're essentially saying that only apostles can correct brothers and sisters in the Lord. 
and to make sure no one operated in that, in that path, so to speak, Paul goes on in chapter six, he says, brothers and sisters, that's very important. He's not saying leaders in the church. Here, listen very carefully what I have to say to you. He says, brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves, so you also won't be tempted. Carry each other's burdens. In this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. Here we see Peter was carrying a heavy burden. He didn't exactly know this new way of living 100%. Peer pressure was was real. But I love how Paul is saying to the Galatians that I believe speaks to us today. Because we're in Christ, because each of us had the spirit of God, and I close, the grace of God teaches each of us. And so therefore, if we're all spiritual in the Lord, we can encourage one another. We can exercise discernment. So I'll tell you right now, I'm laying it all out there. I am truly behind this. If you saw me walking around and fooling around against my wife, I expect you to speak to me. I expect if I ever said, hey, bro, you know what? I saw this beautiful woman today, and you know what? I'm kind of unhappy. And, you know, I don't think she gets me sometimes. And you can create a list. You know what? I think, wait a second. I think the Lord just touched me, and I think I'm going to go after her. I would expect my brother to come to me and say, bro, you foolish, like, or something, right? Like, like, this, this is how it speaks to me. We're, we're meant to encourage one another as brothers and sisters in the Lord. That encouragement is sometimes seasoned with the appropriate judgment call. Appropriate judgment calls. Recognizing good from evil. Exercising that discernment. And Paul's judgment was just because it wasn't hypocritical. It wasn't out of slander. It was none of those things. In fact, Jesus said this in John 7, 24, stop judging according to outward appearances. Rather, judge according to righteous judgment. Paul saw the facts. It was shown, hey, you know, when you're with the, you know, before you would dine and you would eat, but now since this party's arrived, you, you've pulled away. You're no longer practicing what you preach. That was important for Paul to do that. I believe that we will see as the Lord prunes us in our life. He's the master gardener. As he prunes us in our life, sometimes that pruning is uncomfortable. But you, when you trust in him, like Ron, each of you are saying, when we trust in him, he's going to continue that work. Just trust the process. Don't rush it. But it all starts with hearing his voice, that prompting voice, as he speaks to us by the Holy Spirit, as he speaks through one another. So I am thankful for people in this church who call me up and say, hey, can we have a coffee? Now, you know me. Sometimes I can be a little overboard, and I'll message you all the time. Be like, how you doing? I haven't seen you while. Are you okay? Like, let's chat. But I love it when also the others, I'm, I'm referencing you guys, reach out and say, let's have a coffee. Let's chat. We can have face time. And so this week as we go, those people that were put on your heart today, the people you're praying for, be encouraged the Lord is going to speak through you. And it's not just any old type of word. It's the very word of God, the gospel that we are to carry. I know sometimes it can seem just 
insurmountable. Lord, I, I, I'm not the, the best speaker. Well, I'll tell you right now, I know I can totally appreciate that level of fear because I don't consider myself to be an eloquent speaker, but I can tell you right now, I have seen life transformation. I have experienced life transformation in mind, soul, and body. And I believe that Jesus is real and he leads us from glory to glory as we trust in him. And he's gonna use you as he's using me today. Trust in the process as we heard. Don't harbor unforgiveness here. Paul was not living from a place where he wasn't willing to forgive Peter. We didn't see that anywhere in there. He still extended the hand of fellowship to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this wonderful time in your presence. Lord, we thank you that your word is living and active. It speaks to us. Speak to the areas that maybe we're going awry or, or speaking to, to matters that we've questioned, maybe even for a long time. But Lord, I thank you in you. Your gospel is not complicated. We are justified by grace through faith in you. And that you walk with us, you talk with us, and you lead us in life transformation for the sole purpose of becoming more like Help us to be more like you in this world, to see opportunity, to speak into each other's lives, not from a place of, you know, to slander or that, but Lord, out of perfect courtesy and respect and mutual love for one another, that we will take the time to have FaceTime. Thank you, Jesus, for the members and brothers and sisters in this place trust in you who love you. Lord, we desire to go the distance, speak through us, move through us. We don't want to restrict, Lord, the faucet. We pray the faucet would be turned wide open and your grace, like a wave, would move through us. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, I invite everyone to say amen. Amen. Brother, would you lead us out? You can stand with me, church. Let's worship here.
you a, a whole around. Who needs that this 